Greetings, fellow investigators, and welcome back to our video podcast, Into the Darkness, where tonight, my friends and I will be playing Trail of Cthulhu RPG. I'm your host, Tom Rayleigh. The scenario is Cerulean Halo. It was written by Matthew Sanderson, and it's from a collection called Mythos Expedition. It's available from Amazon.com. Uh, our game master is Matthew Sanderson, and this is episode one. Matthew's going to give us a short breakdown of the rules. So without any further delay, let's begin our journey into the darkness. Matthew? Right. Thank you very much, Tom. So this is a bit different from the games we normally play. First off, the only dice you'll need is a single D6. All the rolls use it. There's no variation on dice uh, dice pool in this, and it's a use for everything. I'll give you a quick very quick and dirty run through the sheet just so that you understand what things are and where they are and how you can use them. So up at the top of the sheet, you've got your so your details, the normal stuff that you would expect to find. So your investigator name, um, your drive is, it's one of a list that you can have um, in game. You can create your custom one potentially. Essentially, it's what keeps you going as an investigator. The thing that drives you forward to try and com um, combat the unknown. Uh, they're fairly self-explanatory in a lot of cases. It just gives you an idea of flavour for um, why you're doing what you do. Um, mechanically, if you were to try and exit an investigation, if you just went, hell no, this is too dangerous for me, I'm out, there are mechanical penalties if you go against your drive, but I doubt that's going to happen. In fact, I've only re really seen it happen once in a game. Then you've got your occupation. Um, each occupation in the game has an occupational benefit, which I've summarised on the sheet beneath that. So it's, for example, one that one of the characters we don't have in play. Uh, we have a professor of anthropology. Um, his special for his occupational benefit would have been bureaucracy allows unrestricted access to closed library stacks, research labs, many private and government archives. Now, bureaucracy is a skill in the game, and you'll find it in the section of uh, the three columns immediately beneath that. You have academic abilities, interpersonal abilities, technical abilities, and general abilities. And they all have a number next to them. Uh, don't worry so much about the star. That's mainly for reference in character gen to show that those are your, what would be the equivalent of occupational abilities in Call of Cthulhu. So the ones that you, got, you start off with that are more preferential to your occupation. Now, the number next to it, the only ones that you roll on are general abilities. There are a couple of uh, exceptions to that rule, but 99% of the time, those are the only skills that you roll. Your, what are called investigative abilities, your academic, interpersonal, and technical, you just spend a point of that skill when you go into a scene, and I'll give you information, if there is anything to be given, related to that skill. So, for instance, if you walked into a crime scene uh, where there's been a murder, um, you could roll evidence, or not roll, sorry, you could spend a point of evidence collection and I will give you information that's relevant to that particular murder to say, well, here's something that indicates that the guy was standing here when he shot this other person, yada, yada, that, that kind of thing. But it only relates to that particular skill as to the expertise and the info that you get back. General abilities, the points next to those, you can spend multiple points if you want. They modify your dice roll because you're rolling against a target number on the D6. Now, that target number can be as low as two, because if it's one, why bother picking up the dice? All the way up to eight. 
Now, if you can roll an eight on a six-sided dice without spending points, I want that dice. Seriously, I have terrible luck with dice. I really want that kind of dice. This is where you, if you had a difficulty that's that high, you would have to spend points to modify the roll. Generally, you spend those points before you make the roll, but certain occupational um, benefits give you the chance to uh, spend it afterwards if you want. So it becomes a bit of a gamble. Yeah. There are a few skills which are then extracted from that general list and then put into the table or the, the column rather that's on the left-hand side of the sheet, sanity, stability, and health. Now, unlike Call of Cthulhu, where you have the overarching sanity score, it's split into two in Trail of Cthulhu. Now, stability is the closest thing to old school sanity in Call of Cthulhu. It's the short term keeping your shit together that number will fluctuate up and down and you can see that it does go below zero because you've got a minus 12 in that chart so if it goes to zero don't need to worry too much if it goes below zero start to worry the further down it goes and there's a reason it caps at minus 12 because at that point it's good night vienna you are you're gone but so it can go up and down in the course of play sanity is how much you relate to being human so see, the higher that is, the more it represents you holding on to human values and so on and so forth. It also kind of kind of represent the balance between the two of how Armitage could have read the Necronomicon several times over and be still employable. So you will have maybe a low sanity, but a fairly high stability because he's able to keep it together, uh, keep his proverbial together in the short term. Health is, as it says on the tin, again, can go below zero. It just then represents how messed up you are physically. Uh, the two ways that health and stability can go up and down in the course of the game. If you have the psychoanalysis skill or you have the first aid skill, those respectively can impact stability and health of, usually it's better when you're doing it on someone else, but you can also impact your own stability and health. For every one point of either of those skills that you spend, someone else gets two points of that back. So let's say Morgan is trying to psychoanalyze and calm down Josh. Morgan spends one point of his psychoanalysis and Josh gains two stability back. You don't roll those skills. And likewise, the same with health. You spend one first aid, you get two health back. But you could try and, try and do it on yourself to try and talk yourself down or try and heal yourself. But then it's only a one-for-one -one benefit. Unless you've got like the nurse occupation, which allows you to then get better benefits when you spend it. Funnily enough, we have a nurse in the party. Um, I think that's pretty much all that we need to worry about for the minute. Uh, for the purposes of this, because it's going to be a relatively short scenario, I imagine one, two sessions, uh, sources of stability and contacts, we don't need to worry too much, especially as you're going to be going out into the middle of nowhere. So it's not as if you're going to be having people that you can call up on the phone and suddenly ask, uh, ask for their help or go to various places to regain stability that that's something maybe for after the scenario assuming you survive of course but yeah we'll we'll get to anything else as and when it comes up in the course of play all right what what's preparedness used for ah it's the mary poppins skill uh this is the one that says when you go into a situation oh i wish i had a spanner or i wish i had a screwdriver hang on a minute i think i might have packed one let me dive in my bag um 
you then roll preparedness against a target number equal to how much, uh, how unlikely it is you're going to have that item, or basically how much can you try and bullshit the ref to say <laughs> that you've got this thing with you. Uh, I have had people in game, uh, in another gumshoe game, which these mechanics are similar to, suddenly say, yeah, I've, I've got some grenades in my pocket. What, what difficulty preparedness is that? And then he just spends the load of points to have grenades in his pocket. So there are, there are certain things that you can blag, certain things that you will not. Uh, the, one, the one thing I'll say there is, and there are certain things in this, unless you specifically say you're gathering them in your... Um, your equipment gathering phase, you will not have them. So think carefully. But yeah, for minor things, it's the Mary Poppins skill. And one other, the trouble sense. Uh, sense trouble. That's like spot hidden. Uh, oh. But it's like a overarching thing. It's my spidey sense is tingling. I hear something. I feel something. I smell something. It's uh, as it says, you are able to sense the trouble or the heat coming around the corner. But does that have to be declared or is that something you would tell us? A bit of both. Um, okay. You can actively ask to make a roll, or I can prompt you to do so. Now, with that, does actually bring up one thing that's pro probably best to mention now. With your investigative abilities, if you go into a scene and you spend, like, or say, I'd like to go into a library and spend library use, if it's what's referred to as a core clue in the scene, you don't spend the point. You declare you spend it, but I'll say, hey, you, you get this one for free. But you could, if you wanted, then elect to spend more points to see if there's more information you can get. You might not get everything with just a one-point spend. You might have to spend more. But that's not for me to prompt you as to, um, as to when to ask for it. That's for you to uh, elect, do I want to dig a bit further and do I want to risk spending some more points? And it's a dumb question, but if there's no points in something, then there's no points. Yeah, then you, you just can't spend it. Right. In that case, if it's a general ability, you can still make the roll. It's just that your difficulty is probably going to be harder because you haven't got any points in it. So your target number would increase. All right, cool. Let's begin. Right. It is Tuesday, March the 1st, 1938, in this lovely little town called Arkham, Massachusetts, where there's this pillar of the academic community, the Miskatonic University. And well, everyone here is connected in some way to the university. And you've received contact yesterday, inviting you to the office of one Dr. Alan Wilfred, professor of zoology, um, say to, um, to meet him about a nice healthy time in the morning, 10 o'clock in the morning, so not too early, not too late, um, for a meeting of not the utmost importance, but definitely of um, something of interest. So we we begin as the uh, the five of you are currently sat in the professor's secretary's waiting room, connected to his office. So we'll do a quick round robin. If everyone wants to describe what they look like and if they know much about you, pretty much everyone here knows everyone by sight, and some of you have got some opinions, maybe strong ones, depending about other characters. So this is a time to identify who you are. So go around on my screen the way I see it. So to start with Tom Workaround. Well, I'm Dr. Uh, Malcolm Wyatt. I am a uh, biologist. Um, I specialize in uh, ornithology. And um, I'm, I'm curious, I, I heard there was some project that they want us to work on. I'm hoping that birds are involved. Um, I've been at the university for quite a while. Uh, 
I'm, I'm a scientist. I, I just nothing much more to me than that. Okay, and next we'll move around to Morgan. I am Beverly Reeve. I am a local investigative journalist with the Arkham Advertiser. Um, really hoping that a hard-hitting story, hopefully in connection with whatever this project is, can get me into better graces uh, with more prominent newspapers. Um, so, for the best. Okay. And next round, we've got Josh. I'm Gillian Lyon. Uh, I'm a nurse, and uh, yeah, fresh, uh, fresh out of training, I kind of uh, uh, still haunts me. I was uh, in northern France, and I was helping troops, and no, I, no, I can't, no. But I'm hoping I can help people. It's my duty as a nurse. And if they need me, I'm there. Okay. Uh, next round, we've got uh, Jason. Howdy, I'm uh, Pete, Pete Richardson, and I'm a pilot. I work uh, flying uh, groups around the world for uh, Miskatonic University. I've been to just about every continent on the earth. The only place I haven't been is the North and South Pole. I actually hope to get there one day. I love being in the sky, being on exploring different lands. If there's an adventure, sign me up for it. Plus, I get paid by the, the university to go. So that's a bonus. Win-win. <laughs> right, and last up, we got Stuart. Oh, yes. Yeah, I'm Carl Marshall. I'm a geologist, also uh, in the physics department here in the university. Uh, between uh, my research, I've taken up uh, side jobs with various oil companies to help uh, discover new resources for them to exploit and, uh, and develop. But uh, yeah, my main passion's uh, getting back to the lab. I, I've, got, I've got a lot of research that I wanna press on with, but that doesn't pay too well. So for now, it'll be helping out the oil companies. Good to meet you. Right, so you're left to your own devices to either stare at each other or eye each other up for probably only about five minutes or so after everyone's finally got together. And then there's a, there's a buzz and the secretary kind of looks up and smiles to you and says, it looks like the, uh, the doctor's ready now if you'd like to, uh, to go on through. I understand his, uh, his other couple of guests are already inside. I guess so. Wonderful. Well, let's get inside. Yeah. Open, opening up into Fort Miskatonic is a quite uh, quite spacious office, and there's a row of chairs lined up in front of the professor's desk, and then behind him he's got a nice view of uh, the, one of the green courtyards of the of the campus. Um, that he's got a high nice high back chair that he sits back in. Um, he's a man in his sixties, uh, so he's not exactly the most agile uh, of people these days. Uh, but there's seven seats in front of him of which two you can see are occupied uh there's two other uh, two other male gentlemen that are there um one's in his probably think late 40s early 50s the other is probably a bit younger you think probably in his late 30s early 40s um, you recognize one of them anyway dr uh, dr leopold bailey um he's a volcanologist um, on the university staff and 
the other the other gentleman you're not too familiar with him so maybe for uh, Beverly you might might be able to at least have that faint bell of recognition you think he's probably a photographer or photojournalist that you may have may have crossed paths with at some point you vaguely remember his name Jeremy or Julian or Jeremy something well as the uh, the doctor stands up say Dr Wilfred with a big smile says ah everyone thank you very much uh sorry for keeping you waiting for a couple of minutes we just we need to go through some uh, some details here should, if you'd like to we... take a seat thank you uh, hello, um, uh, I'm Dr. Uh, Malcolm. Oh, Doctor. pleasure. Yeah, there's a, like a row of handshaking takes place, lots of smiles and introductions. Say the other, say Dr. Bailey, say he introduced himself as you know, and then the, the other fella introduced himself as Julian Irvine. Irvine. So then everyone sits down and Dr. Wilfred straightens his jacket says right i'm very grateful that you've been able to uh come to see me at such relatively short notice um i think i'll cut pretty much to the chase this is quite an exciting opportunity for the university um, the president's organizing a cruise um in july that will visit various islands including the galapagos um, island to examine unusual wildlife and the White House has put out an invitation to members of the academic community to basically fill an empty seat on the cruise. So we're currently, it looks like an academic competition is underway to try and uh, woo the White House's staff to having someone from their institution be picked. And if we, we intend to get our name into the hat. Now to, uh, to try and sweeten the pot, as it were, uh, we're trying to appeal to uh, the president's interests. And we know that he's quite interested in an island, which I understand is on his roster anyway, to visit um, in, in addition to the Galapagos, um, that being Clipperton Island. Um, it's about a thousand miles off the, uh, the coast of Acapulco. It's um, a place that it looks like the uh, president's been interested in for a little while. I see that uh, Dr. Dr. Wyatt has a, uh, oh, has a glimmer recognition there. Well, there's uh, a great many birds uh, that live on the island. Um, uh, it would be quite an opportunity to go there, as well as the other Galapagos. Um, so much scientific study is possible there. Are there other candidates besides us? Well, this is just the the university's offering. The um, the, part, the one of the stumbling blocks we have is that there are a number of expeditions currently out underway to various other parts of the world so this is something that was kind of sprung on us from in the news in the white house quite late in the day um if we'd known a bit sooner about it we would have obviously had a bit bigger budget to allocate to it we would have more people that we could um we could assign to it so we're hoping that you guys will be able to do something wonderful within the short time frame that we're giving you and the fairly limited budget i'm afraid now, I said part of this is the part of the reason why we shoot, uh, chose Clipperton is that um, back in actually back in July, that was it, yeah, July 1934, um, President Roosevelt aboard the USS Houston uh, on part of a 12,000 mile voyage um, visited Clipperton before 
And I understand he really likes the deep sea fishing around there. So it might be that's just why he wants to go back there again. But we thought it's it's been publicised that he has an interest in the island, that we would appeal to his interests and do a survey and a report on the island, um, in addition to bringing back some samples and so on and so forth. Uh, maybe even see if we can identify some new species which we could name after him. Um, again, something just to sweeten the pot to make it look like that uh, we get a better chance of getting one of our men, or maybe even one of... Uh, one of you, uh, ladies or gentlemen, on the president's own excursion later in the year. Fantastic opportunity. Yeah. So we're thinking about, say, we don't want to sour the pot too much. We want to um, we want to provide a good report, but not leave him no reason left to go to the island, of course. So don't do a fully comprehensive report. But we're thinking if you want to look at some of the, uh, the local fauna and fauna, uh, that can be used to, say, whet his appetite a bit. Uh, well, we've got a couple of uh, people from the other fac uh, from other faculties here, uh, or the part parts of the faculty rather that will be joining you. Uh, Dr. Bailey is a volcanologist because we understand that uh, Clippet Island is a coral atoll, so obviously it has volcanic um, volcanic origins. And Mr. Irvine here has worked with the university before. He'll basically be documenting all of your activities there. So he'll, provide, he'll be providing a comprehensive photographic record. Um, any questions so far? What um, country has jurisdiction over this island? I, we believe it's the French now. Um, it's a French pins, um, not sure whether they call it a principality, but basically it's, it's a French territory. I understand there was some some history about it being with Mexico beforehand. Um, I'm not too privy of the exact history of the island. I'd, I'd suggest that you definitely hit the library up for some uh, further information on that front. But yes, I understand there was some Mexican claim at some point. Trip, yeah. Mm -hmm. Right now, da, 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 da. are there are there places for us to stay on the island or? will be camping. in the field well i i imagine that uh, well depending on how the situation is that you'd be setting up a um, a base camp to uh, to then operate from oh. um i think there might be some some structures there already but you got i think you'll be provided with definitely camping material anyway i'm no stranger uh, it, to that it won't just be the seven of you going out there um obviously to get there um, we've employed the services of a 90-foot uh, a Baltimore clipper, um, a two-masted schooner, um, called the Amphitrite, which is currently docked in uh, San Diego. It's under the uh, command of one uh, Captain Joseph Emerson. Uh, he has a crew of 11, which will be obviously in assistance with yourself. Um, they will be helping to do things like set up a base camp, um, obviously get you to and from the island. Oh, quite um, luxurious for us, then. Well, it's the, given the amount of equipment that you might want to take, it might be fairly cramped. It all depends on uh, <laughs> it all depends on how you want to, uh, whether you want to maybe sleep on the ship or whether you want to uh, sleep on the land. It's completely up to you. How, how long will it take us to get there? Right, um, logistics. Um, so the ship is currently moored in San Diego. The closest point to landfall to the island is Cabo San Lucas which is at the base of uh, Baja California from there it's 800 miles across open ocean 
until you get to until you get to Clipperton. It's five to six days going down Baja California from San Diego to get to Cabo San Lucas, and then a week on the open ocean from Cabo San Lucas to Clipperton. So it's it's a fair hike. And the weather this time of year is fairly mild. Well, it's certainly not uh, not too um, too bad as it is between June and November. Uh, we understand that's the uh, that's the more problematic uh, wind, rain, and so on. But otherwise, fairly, it's it's as good as it's going to get around now. So, will the university be employing my plane, or? Mm -hmm. Yes, uh, there is room on the ship. Um, admit it will take up most of the hold, but there is other storage facilities on board where we can take apart the plane or we more recommend seaplane. So if you want to uh, have that rigged out because there's nowhere to land on the island, um, but it will allow you to perform things like aerial surveys and be able to get, uh, get a good view, aerial view of the place when you're there. So they'll be able to um, take the plane apart, store it in the hold and then take it down and take it back out and reassemble it when you arrive i mean we've done similar transporting planes down to the um, down to the antarctic with our um stuck with a more expedition excellent <laughs> yes we all know how that ends <laughs> yeah um bailey at that point uh you can see he he kind of stiffens a little bit um you know, he walks with a cane. Uh, one of the pieces, one of the pieces of information and uh, gossip that goes round in the uh, on the campus is that he was actually shortlisted to go on um, the original expedition, the, the Mississippi expedition, ah. down to the South Pole. Um, but he got himself involved in a uh, motor accident shortly before they were due to set out, and was basically bedbound in hospital and missed the whole trip. He mm. keeps saying that it was the worst, uh, worst time of his career. But a friend of his, a uh, Dr. William Dyer has been convincing him otherwise for some reason. It was all a tragic, uh, very tragic windstorm. Mm. Uh, you know, it caught the camp unaware, so. Oh, yes. Well, Antarctica, Jesus. There's a million things there that can kill you. Most of them are ice and cold. Mm. So we're yeah, not going where there's any ice or cold, so I think we'll be fine. Maybe some bathing beauties and coconuts, and we'll mm. be. Uh, uh, coconuts will be very surprised if they're not there. <laughs> but yes, so we've got the um, we've got the amphitrite ready for you in San Diego. The uh, journey will take one week. We've been over that. He says consulting his notes. I I understand uh, the need to to cover what we're doing an expedition uh, an expedition of this sort, but. Uh, but uh, Beverly, I mean, no offense, you're you're an, a, a good journalist, but you're not going to try well, to sensationalize this and 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 and. Well, I mean, if we're trying to get the president's ear, it takes a, a certain touch to uh, give the, the 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 true the true spirit of adventure, if you will. You know, it's a bunch of science. Point. If I mean, a pure scientific uh, write-up is not going to get us onto any. Uh, that's very any true. cruises. Mm. Yeah, that's very true. So very... Sensationalism is not what I do, but telling a story is what I do. Okay. As, as long as it can be kept and, and taken seriously as well by academics, then that's good. It's, it's a fine line to tread. Well, I mean, as, as a man who works for oil companies, I'm surprised that you're uh, so concerned about the academic community. Well, 
that's not necessarily by choice right now. I want to get back to my research, but listen, I got to pay bills. I interrupt. Listen, we're doing this for the president of the United States. I mean, there's no bigger job out there. This is for the president. Case closed. We're doing our best, our absolute mm -hmm. best. Excellent. Indeed, and that's why you've been hired. Now, uh, so we ideally want you back here, so back in Arkham by Sunday the 17th of April, and then ready for your report to be submitted in full by Saturday the 30th. So the timeline roughly goes like this. Um, we, we prepared that if you leave Arkham on Monday the 14th, um, you would arrive at San Diego and set off from there the day after, so the 15th of March. Um, you'd then leave Cabo San Lucas on the 21st, arrive at Clipperton on the 28th, and then leave Clipperton by the 3rd of April, which then means you get back to Cabo San Lucas on April 10th, San Diego April 15th, <coughs> arrive back here April 17th. So it's roughly a week that you're going to have on the island, barring any transport or, say, logistical difficulties. So that should be enough time. Uh, we do have a number of specific requests for you to perform or tasks for you to perform while you're there. Now, we want you to bring back samples of the local coral, soil, and rocks for analysis so that we can put that into the report in detail. Sounds like Carl's venue. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a coral atoll, so that would involve some uh, going out and getting wet. <laughs> uh, document the remnants of the human activities upon the island, because I understand there's been several uh, different operations that have taken place there and also capture some specimens of the island's wildlife um, we understand these are mostly birds and crabs so yes that'll be very much dr wyatt's wheelhouse uh, for that Indeed. and yeah bring them bring them back here for study oh along also with um, plant life so again non-indigenous uh, grasses and palms that that kind of thing i suppose the last oh go ahead I'm just agreeing with you. Sounds <laughs> very exciting. Okay. Well, I so say the last thing from me that I before I hand over to any other questions is I have a question for you. And he gestures towards the group in general. Who would like to have their name on the report as the team leader? Or the expedition leader? Well, it doesn't make sense to have myself, so no, neither. I mean it, me. I would definitely either be Watt or Marshall, wouldn't it, in my opinion? Is it possible to hyphenate? Yeah, have it the uh, Watt, Marshall, Wyatt, or Marshall, Marshall, Marshall Wyatt. If, Wyatt. If you want to have two um, two names on there, that's certainly no no problem for me. I think uh, I think that would be highly acceptable. <laughs> that would be. Our, 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 he'll be dealing mostly with the geology. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. He could work with the volcanologist, and uh, I'll be working on ornithology Life. and stuff like that. Yeah. It, it splits, splits the weight. <laughs> yes. And the, the academics amongst you will probably realize that it, yeah, no, it splits the weight. It also divides the blame if anything goes wrong. <clears throat> so it very much puts a, a target on your uh, yours two's heads if anything does does go wrong with this. But it won't, so <laughs> it's probably alphabetical. Marshall, yeah. Marshall Wyatt. Marshall Wyatt. It's perfect. 
Right. Um, do you have any other questions for myself or, um, say, Dr. Bailey or uh, Mr. Irvine here? How much time do we have to pack? Well, <laughs> so we, we don't expect you to be leaving here until Monday the 14th. So you've got the you've got oh, the best part of a couple of weeks if you want to make weeks. preparations and oh. either gather specific equipment or do some research of your own. <laughs> um, prep time, just make sure that it's it's well time well spent. So excellent. I'll be flying us from here to Cali, and then we'll excellent. Yep, and then okay. taking apart the plane when you arrive. I've heard many good things about you, Peter, and, and uh, getting getting expeditions to where they need to go. Thank you. It's all about keeping and maintaining an excellent condition plane. <clears throat> wow. Can we can we try keep injuries to a minimal? I don't want to be too overworked. I know what <laughs> you people can be like sometimes. I might get a couple scraped knuckles putting a plane back together, but that's about it. Oh that that's we we can sort daddies. <laughs> We don't even need to do anything, really. Well, that's indeed why your services have been employed, because uh, it's a long way to the nearest hospital when you're uh, 800 miles off the coast of Acapulco, or wow. well, a thousand miles off the coast of Acapulco. <laughs> well, if I can deal with what I dealt with over in France, I think I can deal with some scientists on an expedition. Well, I think from, from some things that I've read in the past, there are no poisonous creatures there so you have nothing to worry about no snakes or anything like that um, everyone seems to give you either nod shrugs or doesn't seem to know specifically one way or the other so gentlemen shall we thank you very much thank we you we will uh, go prepare nurse lion do we need to get any uh, inoculations before we go I would assume I can't. What? Malaria. Yeah, and, malaria. Uh, yeah. I guess the plate. Jungle I'll, I'll fever. Get, I'll get them sorted. I'll I'll get them sorted. Just come and see me. Excellent. At some point, within <laughs> within the next week or week, and then I'll get them sorted. Yeah, just it's standard stuff as far as you're aware. There's nothing, nothing blatantly on the radar that would uh, so raise any red flags. All right, so I'm going to head to the library, and I'd like to see if there are any previous documentations of, of plant and animal life on Clipperton, or if I get to go in completely empty and, and you know, make all the discoveries. Or Okay, so you are heading to the library. This counts, as I mentioned previously, as a core clue. You've got a bit of reading to do here because there is quite a bit of information on Clipperton. Excellent. So, I'm looking for specifically for biological stuff. Mm -hmm. so. Okay, we'll start with envir the environment then. Um, but say there are other bits that you'll be able to find in relation to its history as well. All right, let's see. Concerning the environment, Clipperton Island is a low lying coral atoll that is largely barren, apart from occasional grass patches and a few collections of coconut palms, about 600 palms in total. Although its longest axis, rim to rim, southeast to northwest, the island is 2.6 miles wide, although its shortest axis, southwest to northeast, is 1.5 miles wide. 
uh, I said although I meant along, 85% of the area is comprised of the interior freshwater lagoon, its depth ranging from a few inches to at least 50 fathoms. Wow, that's rather deep. Numerous coral reefs surround the island. Large vessels drop anchor a quarter mile to the southwest or northeast and then send smaller boats to shore. Another coral reef exists inside the lagoon. The lagoon water is drinkable, but not very pleasant. Uh, collected rainwater is usually more pal palatable. June to November is the stormy season. Whilst the expedition will miss the worst weather, it is not notorious for perpetually rough seas. Wildlife consists mainly of migratory birds, a million or more at any one time, and crabs, estimated about five million. Somebody counted those crabs. <laughs> and Oof. it took a long time with a number like that. That's true that was... science. Mm -hmm. There's also, as mentioned, bits about the history of the place. <clears throat> well, let's see, a little bit about the history. Clipperton Island, also known as Isla de la Passion, Passion Island, was named after an English pirate rumored to have used the island as a base and buried treasure there. No evidence has been found to support these rumors. <clears throat> the island came to the international, att to international attention in the late 19th century during the rush, of mine, uh, or the rush to mine guano across South America. Guano, formed from the feces of bird, uh, seabirds, was a valuable fertilizer at the time with high nitrogen and phosphorus content. The same high levels of nitrate also later made it an important source of, exp for, of explosives and gunpowder. However, the product mined from Clipperton has historically been only marginally profitable due to its inferior quality as a fertilizer and relatively high calcium content also made it poor for use in explosives. <clears throat> the Pacific Islands Company of London established another guano mining operation on the island in the early years of the 20th century, which was overseen by the Mexican government once again. Due to the inferior quality of the product being mined, the operation failed to achieve long-term viability and was abandoned in 1910. The Mexican garrison remained on the island to reinforce its claim on the island uh, as official ownership was being contested between Mexico and France. The arbitration of Italy, which began in 1909, finally awarded ownership of the island to France in January 1931. Hmm. So, yep, that took a long time to finally get oh. together. And it's just not that interesting. <laughs> yeah. I would ah. say if you want to if you want to dig deeper into any of these points at any uh, at any point, feel free to spend a uh, a library use point. Right. Um, and what am I? What do I spend a point with? Uh, if you a want to library? spend a point, yeah. If you want to spend a point of library use, yeah. Next to your library use skill, if there's a number, that's how many I points see you have to spend. I see. It. Mm -hmm. So now it's that. Okay. I now. Will. A couple of points to think out on the history here. The, Oce the Oceanic Phosphate Company of San Francisco sent three men to the island to mine guano in 1897. When they were discovered by the Mexican authorities who claimed the island as their territory, two of those men were taken back to the mainland. The third, um, it's, this is going through a combination of newspaper reports and some, um, some articles and write-ups. 
Um, the third man, one Theodore Gussman, um, a German immigrant, evaded capture and remained on the island, um, performing his duty to the company. When he was finally relieved, he claimed the island had almost driven him insane with its assault of monotonous, unchanging days, the deafening cries of the birds and the roar of the sea. And also, a bit of more, more maybe disturbing uh, news comes out of that section about the Mexican garrison. The Mexican garrison became a tragic chapter in the island's history, having been forgotten by the Mexican government following regime change on the mainland, the relief ship for the garrison never arrived. Mm. As supplies ran out, scurvy claimed the lives of many of the people on the island, and a boating accident claimed the rest, with the exception of Alvarez, the lighthouse keeper, and the female members of the families that they had with them. Um, they brought family members over with them at the garrison, but all the men, apart from the lighthouse keeper, died in some kind of tragic boating accident. Some of the reports are a bit conflicting, saying whether the... Uh, the head of the garrisons thought that he saw the relief ship coming over the horizon. Everyone jumped into uh, to boats to go and meet them. They got out to the coral reef, capsized, and every man was eaten by sharks, oh. leaving the lighthouse keeper on his own. He subsequently declared himself king of the island and proceeded to rape and murder the women that remained on the island, who did not satisfy his every whim. Um, he was subsequently murdered by one of the women he'd been terrorising shortly before a rescue ship arrived in 1917. So oh this, this place has had quite a blood-soaked history in parts. Well, that is interesting. But not rele relevant to what I was yeah. looking for, but horrifying. Oh. Here we go. There's also <clears throat> more of the geographic the landmarks of the island. Well, let's see. The key natural locations and landmarks. Clipperton Rock, made of fused trachyte. That's, yep. a, that's a Dr. Marshall <laughs> word. <laughs> uh, the rock is on the northeastern rim, 300 feet long, 200 feet wide, and 70 feet high. From a distance, it looks like a sail or castle. The north and east faces are sheer cliffs, but the south and west are step-like, uh, formed of long, thin strands uh, that resemble or organ pipes. Tunnels of various sizes run through the rock. Most are small crevices, but uh, larger caves, their floors covered in feathers and droppings, are inhabited by small animals. The, ste uh, the, uh, of the isthmus, uh, a stretch of beach that connects the rock to the coral rim of the island, treasure hunters have dug here looking for pirate gold, rumored to be near the rock. <clears throat> rock Bay and Thumb Point. Along the lagoon shore near the, near the rock, this bay and point are formed by projections from the surrounding beach. The Hook. A spit close to the, a spit close to the rock formed by uh, regular deposits of new beach material. Pincer Bay. Uh, clockwise around the shore from the rock, the bay is formed by two ships, two strips of sand, protruding into the lagoon and are 900 feet apart. Various inlets, the number of which being determined by the water level at the time, run between them. The largest inlet, uh, a remnant of the reef, is about 300 square feet in size. Egg Islands, the only parts of the interior reef above the lagoon water line, range from 20 to 800 square feet and are found 100 feet off the lagoon's uh, northwestern shore. Green Point, 
a discolored patch of sandy uh, sand midway along the northern shore that borders a one-time entrance to the lagoon. The island shore was formed from two crescent coral reefs that joined to form the enclosure around the lagoon. The limestone coral rim of the interior beaches are beach are 1,500 feet across at the northwestern shore. The narrowest point is uh, at Green Point being 130 feet across. Okay, so last part will be areas of previous human habitation. Areas of previous human habitation. The Oceanic Phosphate Mining Operations of 1897 established five huts on a spit of lagoon shoreline uh, on the northeastern rim. Three of these uh, stored mining equipment and two were sleeping quarters. Each was 16 feet square and 18 inches above the sand due to the crabs. Three of these were later dismantled and reassembled on the southwestern shore to become part of the Pacific Islands Company camp. Uh, the Pacific Islands Company built a wharf on the southwestern shore connected by rail tracks to a warehouse nearby, but the coral reefs made it too dangerous for freighters to dock. They dropped anchor out to sea and longboats rode to the wharf. The open-sided warehouse near, nearby was uh, where larger chunks of rock and guano were ground up. By 1908, the Pacific Islands Company had 16 sheet metal buildings for storage, community eating, and living in the camp on the southwestern shore. A lighthouse was established by the Mexicans in 1908 on the summit of Clipperton Rock. Three cabins were built on the beach below, one for the lighthouse keeper and two for equipment storage. There we go. So that's your history and info dump. You do have a map of the island, which, as it's a French territory, it's all in French. Uh, for those that zoom in, please don't worry about the stuff that says it's after 1938. This was the best map I could find. <laughs> Obviously, history does carry on after, uh, after the scenario. But that gives you an idea of where the various geographical features lie. Uh, you'll be coming in roughly from the, the northeast, you think, given the, um, given the trajectory from Cabo San Lucas. And some of the more prominent landmarks featured here. So there's the site of, um, well, as it, on the right, it gives you your trip, your route from San Diego down to Cabo San Lucas. And then you've got the major sites on the island. So what's left of the lighthouse, Clipperton Rock, the, the old oceanic phosphate site, and the Pacific Island Company site, which having read about it now, you think if you were to make landfall and choose some of the existing locations to use as a place to set up base camp somewhere on the southwestern side, like around the Pacific Island Company site, would probably be one of the better options because it's got at least a wharf there. Right. With recent uh, geologic and seismic activity, it's not far from major fault lines. The mineral deposits there should be fascinating to study. Well, it's the rim of a volcano, isn't it? Isn't that what an atoll is? So the remnants. Yeah, actually, there's one thing that uh, Mr. Marshall's brought up there. I'll throw in as a uh, as a freebie then. Um, <clears throat> parts of what makes that area also interesting um, on a geological um, on a geological front is that 
this volcano has probably moved several thousand miles over the millennia that the seabed is almost just a rolling conveyor belt as it heads towards um, the western coastline of the US, then falling under the San Andreas Fault there. But yeah, this this mountain, or what was once originally a mountain or volcano, is not always been in that location. Millennia or eons ago, it would have been much, much further, uh, further to the oh. west. Just think of all of the oil rigs we can plunge right through the middle of this place. It would be. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I assume you're looking over my shoulder, or we're discussing it. <laughs> <laughs> what I found. I, you've got a couple of weeks, so it may be that you've uh, you either run into each other in the library or conduct your own separate research. But I like the idea of him just creeping up and reading over your shoulder. <laughs> How uh, likely is it, Doctor Marshall, that uh, there's going to be any oil deposits? on an ancient volcano. Oh, no, no, I, I wouldn't want it to be developed in that manner. Well, don't you don't you think that, um, don't you need something like large swamps or something from prehistoric times to- Oh, that's to have definitely that one, one source, very <clears throat> true. It'll be very interesting to see. Oh, I'm just interested- You might find some fossil records, I don't know. Precisely. Do we have a paleontologist coming along? I don't think so. Nope. The only the only other academic you've got is the volcanologist, and the only other person besides him that's on the university staff is the uh, the photographer. Yeah. I'm just so, hoping that we find something interesting. So in in the weeks leading up. Um, Talking to some of the, the sailors and people that kind of come up and down the river uh, here mm -hmm. in Arkham. I want to see if any, anything of this particular region of the Pacific, uh, rumors of certain uh, fishy characters oh, okay. you know, that I, I may or may not have <laughs> mm -hmm. seen mm -hmm. before. <laughs> mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, you can give me your choice here uh, there's a few ways you can get this the best way would be oral history i do have to. oral history so i'll spend two points of oral history to track this down okay uh, you'll need to spend the one so don't worry about don't one. worry about okay. the second right because this is a core clue hey. so you only uh, you only need to spend the one rather than spending your uh, spending your two you get the baseline and then one will give you something extra so you're, the first thing is there, there are rumors that come out of this place every so often. A few of the people that you uh, that you meet having come up uh, coming up the Miskatonic River, yeah, they, they claim they've been down that way. Mainly, um, they haven't gone to Clipperton itself, but they've gone around that area around Cabo San Lucas because that is a fishing village or fishing port rather. So they've spent time around there. They've listened to the superstitions of the uh, the locals, and some of the bits that got reported in the news following various incidents there. And the big one that comes back is saying that they believe the island is haunted uh, by the men from the garrison who died there from either scurvy or the boating accident eaten by sharks. And the woman, the mad lighthouse keeper shot. Um, they say that none of their souls are able to leave the ungodly island and that they stalk its shores throughout the night. So that no one there should, um, should spend time in the dark on the island. They say if you're going to go there, by all means, fish during the day, but get the hell out of there at night before the ghosts uh, start to walk. Your one extra point uh, digs into uh, one of maybe the older fishermen uh, that says that he was around 
Cabo San Lucas at the time that Gusman passed through there um, after having been brought back uh, or rescued from the island with the uh, with the relief ship. He was on his way back to San Francisco and was in a dreadful state. He was heard or reportedly heard to say that the island itself had tried to drive him insane, that it showed him terrible things in his dreams and that he often woke screaming in the middle of the night. Again, there's a there's a connection there that whatever happens seems to happen seems to happen after dark, but also it's maybe not ghosts that are wandering around there, but something something that creeps and just worms its way into your dreams. Well, this is this is very interesting, and on the uh, the chance that it is maybe what I hope it is, I will buy. I will bring along my own personal photography equipment. Mm-hmm. Yep, no problem there. And plenty of this, film. If there's a chance this time, this time I'll have proof. Um, during during this time here, I'd like to look into. Actually, maybe I I could get the help of Beverly. This might be up her alley to assist. Uh, there was mention of other groups that went out. Uh, uh, in expeditions that were sort of in competition with this. Is there any reports back from any of them? Any information that can be dug up there maybe? Oh, looking into our competition for the the cruise. Yeah, just wondering if if they're- If anybody else is doing like preliminary and- Yeah, but maybe something's- I'll hit up like, I'll hit up my contacts and say, you know the uh, our local friendly Harvard. Uh, <laughs> okay. You know, and the like other universities. See if they're uh, interested in this. I'm sure they are, but mm-hmm. see what their efforts. Okay, now that's part of your occupational benefit. Then that fellow journalists may uh, confide off the record rumors to you. So if you want to spend a point of reassurance, then they can certainly get you some info there. And yeah, if sure. uh, Dr. Marshall wants to back that up and corroborate certain oh, information, yeah. oh, um, you can spend a point of credit rating if you wish. I would be very happy to, just just to find out, you know, maybe we can glean a little information of what uh, might be up against, or not so much against, just benefit. Mm-hmm. Uh, credit rating. Oh, there it is. Yes. All right. Okay. Okay. All right. This this comes back to you in a couple of different pieces then. So uh, for Beverly, you put out some feelers and a couple of uh, of folks that you know in Washington um, come back to you probably two or three days later. And they do confirm that they've got wind of at least one other expedition that's definitely been publicized or not publicized rather but at least talked about in certain circles and it comes out of the uh, national geographic society uh, that they are also planning um, to get a ship underway to clipperton island but it looks like that they aren't going to be ready for a little while so you're probably going to have a few days ahead of them on the island before they would get there 
So yeah, it seems that they've they've hit upon the same idea that Miskatonic has and are trying to appeal to the uh, the president's interests in uh, in their choice of location. And Dr. Marshall uh, gets the name of the person that's heading up this expedition. So it is definitely legit. They, it's not a, it's not a rumor. It's actually happening. Um, it's one Dr. Natalie Richardson who is heading up uh, that expedition. It looks like she kept uh, your name after the, uh, your surname after the split. We yeah, need to get to that island ASAP. That <laughs> dastardly woman is not gonna And I storm off to the other side of the library. We're red-faced. Well, that's it. We, we've got to get ready on This is personal. Mm -hmm. At least for Richardson, me, it's personal. Even though I'm in the library and I'm supposed to be quiet, the only thing she left was the plane. She even took the damn dog. <laughs> Not the dog. Oh. Poor Tindy the Hound. Oh. So, I what I will be doing is booking everyone in for their shots. I will then be taking up updating their records and getting making sure I have updated next of kin and all of that stuff. I've got, I'm prepared. I'm a, I'm I'm just a prepared nurse. And then I'll also ask I'll also ask around the the, the university hospital if anyone knows or maybe I'll consult some documents. Any dangers? So that I can prepare my medical equipment based around those dangers. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, let me have a quick look. The sheet. You should uh, you should make sure that we have some uh, things to help prevent scurvy in case we get stranded there. We don't want to uh, join the ghosts. <laughs> Lots of linens. <laughs> well, this this can be where your uh, your medicine comes in play here. So if you want to uh, spend a point of that then you can definitely give you a couple of warnings. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'll definitely spend a point of my medicine. Mm -hmm. Right. The first, the first thing you want are your water purification tablets, because as it said in the, uh, the write-up that Dr. Wyatt found out, that while it is a freshwater lagoon, it's very brackish, it's not great tasting, and you're relying on, you're relying on rainfall to have decent water there. So having purification tablets would be a very good idea. The other thing is the indigenous wildlife the birds and the crabs well the birds a little bit of digging around on there and looking them up yeah they're um they're pretty tough meat so not exactly the greatest thing to eat and the crabs you are fairly sure are mildly poisonous so eating the eating the crab meat there not a good idea um, not enough to make you keel over and die poison but enough to give you um, a very upset stomach for quite a while so one of the worst bouts of food poisoning you'll have for a bit. So yeah, taking plenty of uh, fruit and veg and supply and fresh supplies, as well as more long life stuff, because you are going to be out there for pretty much on the water and on the island for about three weeks, bar the um, stop off at Cabo San Lucas for picking up supplies. But the last place you pick up supplies, yeah, you want a lot of a lot of good food on route and stuff that will last a while. Okay. Yeah, don't eat the stuff for there. 
You can get away with the coconuts, but that is about the only thing that you can get away with there. Yeah, that's good. I'll, I'll go over what I find when I'm giving them shots. I'll be like, when we're there, do not eat the crabs. Please. And I'll be making sure there's plenty of fresh fruit, fruit, veg, and all that. I'm going to get that all prepared before we leave. And this is my spiel that I will give to people when I'm giving them their shots and stuff. Well, Jillian, won't the um, the boat will be staying there with us, right? Uh, we yeah. can keep supplies on the ship. Yes, yes, yes. I'm just going to make sure that uh, we have plenty and then we can how you there's we gotta be prepared. Yeah, it's always good, like of course, of course. We should have lots of medical things on the, the ship in case we need them. Yes, yes. Well, and if anything goes too wrong with our ship, we could always hit you right with uh Peter's axe, eh? Now I wanna research the best spot to anchor a seaplane at, the headwinds, the all the the weather chart the weather for the his you know historical weather for the island best place to anchor the seaplane how to anchor a seaplane i'm more used to being in the air than on the water but yeah you don't leave them out there too long um the the best two landing sites are even for this applies to the boats as well or ships um, will be either the northeast or the southwest um, if you're planning on going ashore then the southwest is mildly more preferable because as the aforementioned wharf that's there you wouldn't take the boat in directly though you would take the the the, the amphitrite that you've got access to has two long boats which would then be a bit like large lifeboats they'd be lowered off the side of the boat and then you would use those to basically shuttle in and out to bring all your stuff on board but yeah you, you wouldn't want to leave the boat um the seaplane on the water for too long because it is, as it said, very rough seas. So take off and land, not a problem. Then to a taxi in to land, dismantle and get it back on the boat. Now, what would be the chances of landing the boat in that lagoon, that inner lagoon, the freshwater oh, one? You think pretty good. Um, there is mention that there's some areas where it's very, very, very shallow. They're mainly towards the southeast. Um, so anywhere else, pretty much even on the... Uh, Go at the northeast, northwest, uh, the far western stretch. That's all fair game because that's pretty damn deep there. Because if we landed, or my thoughts for the group are, if we landed in there, we could have eat better access and a place that we could stay on the plane. Yeah, well, the plane's be. fairly small, though, isn't it? Well, it's a two-prop uh, plane. I mean... Matt, how much cargo would I be able to haul in it? I mean, I take this around the world. Uh, the main thing is fuel. Uh, the range on it isn't too great. You'd have to, even going across country, you'd have to do a couple of stops at least right. to be able to um, to get there. And you can hold six passengers plus pilot and co-pilot, so it's eight people that it can carry. Um, but then that's going to get eaten up with the amount of extra cargo or the amount of extra equipment that you want or baggage you want to stow. Well, they could uh, ferry over the rest of the equipment on a boat, but we just have in and out access whenever we needed it. Yeah. Plus, I, I, I think I, that would make a great picture. I, I hope we're not disturbing the biology of the lagoon, though, when you 
if you land there, I don't think seaplanes bother the biology too much. I, um, I won't empty the oil into it. Well, in any case, the uh, you'll be protected from the roughness of the sea. Yeah, there's no roughness in the lagoon. Yeah, just don't don't land in the shallower areas right, to right. stir it up, but the, the, the deeper areas. The deeper well, and, and picture picture this. You taking a picture of my red, white, and blue star-spangled prop plane sitting in the lagoon. Think how impressive that would be. And make sure it's Peter Richardson's plane, not Mrs. Richardson, who's no longer oh, Mrs. Richardson. I would never make such a mistake. Yeah. need to chill out, Peter. We can bump her off for you if you'd like. Oh, heavens no. That, that, nope, nope. I would never hear of that. You don't hate her that You could throw a monkey wrench into her uh, National Geographic. That's all. National Geographic. National. You know how many dark times I heard National Geographic over I'm, the two years? I'm sure Beverly would leave us for a moment if she could go work for National Geographic. <laughs> Oh, we wouldn't well, expect you not to. I, of course. <laughs> she could leave, she could leave um, Miss Gaponic to go work for it, but Natalie left me and Miss Gaponic. It's all biology. Love is an illusion. Um, you got caught in the illusion for a little while, and then well, you... Well, that's uh, no way to live. <laughs> that's, that's a depressing way to look at existence. Find I mean, somebody that you like to live with and live with them until you can't stand it any longer and then move out. <laughs> the point is, I think Mr. Roosevelt would be more than impressed with the star-spangled plane in that beautiful island. I think that'll win either you, Wyatt, or Marshall a trip on that. That I just want to shake the president's hand. That's all I want to do. You agree. Well, shaking his hand isn't going to get us to the Galapagos. What we need to do is be cool and calm and scientific and present our information in as positive a light by Miss Beverly as possible. And oh, there's, there's problems. There's Valerian Choice and there's uh, Rami Shaw. They're also extremely good scientists. And I'm sure they're going to be on this project with working with some of these other people. So... It's going to be a difficult win, but we can do it. We can try. Listen, gents, normally I'm hired out to fly the plane. I wait in the plane and explore my own until the scientists get back. But I have never been more driven in my life to see a mission to its completion. So anything and everything I can do to help this mission out, you have my, my back. Thank you, Peter. That's much, much appreciated. Well, we might need that. What other skills do you have? I mean, you obviously can fix a plane and fly a plane. Oh, I'm an How outdoors. How about other vehicles? Or I'm an excellent outdoorsman. Um, what else? What else here? A little bit of biology. I speak Spanish and German. Oh well, that that will that Very might good. Help. Yes, definitely. I'm, I'm I could drive most things and pilot things and electrical repair. So all around, you're perfect to have on an expedition, Peter. Absolutely. Now, the only thing that we have to worry about is tidal waves. That's why I was thinking of parking the plane on the inner lagoon. If we if we have a tidal wave, it's not going to make any difference. I believe the uh, other than the rock, the highest elevation is a couple of feet above the water. It's literally a flat 
piece of ground. Gentlemen, just for your, just for your, not just your normal health, but your mental health, just don't get too ahead of yourselves. Don't get too caught up in this. I know it's a big honor, and I'm, I, I love this country, and, but just bear in mind your mental health as well as physical health. I don't want to be babysitting you all. Well, you know, after you know, after the uh, the supposed nightmares we'll have, I'm sure we'll have plenty of uh, fun things to talk about around the campfire at night I with the ghosts. With the ghosts, <laughs> silly superstition. I mean, of course, there can't be any ghosts. You know, you you go to heaven after you die, or to hell, depending if you've been a bad person. But you don't stay around on Earth. That's silly. So. Can I assume that I didn't find anything lengthy as to the uh, the biology of the island, just basically the observations of people in the past, but nothing? Yeah, lo lots of it's happened in about the last hundred years, uh, but it seems to be, as, as you've already read up really, that most of the wildlife started off as migratory, that right. they came here, they settled here, or like the birds, they come and go. Uh, crabs and almost certainly with islands like these rats uh, will have come with um, ships that have landed and docked there maybe like as the garrison was set up they seem to get everywhere rats but yeah there's there's very little life that would have started there because it's it's literally the middle of nowhere there's not exactly an ecosystem that could have started anything it, it's, it's supporting what's there but it's stuff that's been brought there rather than it Starting right, right. <sighs> well, I can't think of anything else to do in preparation. I have my equipment, of course, my notebooks, uh, my pens and pencils, uh, my observate, my my small uh, uh, microscope, and uh, various other biological agents. Um, slides, a set of uh, blank slides that I can uh, do take samples of. And then I guess we're going to have to have to have a few cages because um, you want living or we want living specimens. Um, but I also want to perhaps uh, do some dissections and so forth on. So I'll have that all of my scientific equipment that I might need. Okay, so you're going to be doing some um, some anal analysis in the field as well. Oh, sure, yeah, because there's no point in bringing back a a brown-footed booby when we already know everything about brown-footed boobies. Or a frigate bird. I hate frigate birds. But something else, maybe. Mm -hmm. no. Any other specific equipment? I uh, sent you a message. I've just seen that. So. Just standard uh geological survey equipment hammers compasses a couple pocket grenades yeah a couple pocket grenades pocket. you know this the, the standard i'll take charge of uh making sure all of the tents and survival gear is adequate for the island mm -hmm. yep that's not wrong you want something that's going to be very kind of heavy thick canvas and plenty you think Plenty of uh, stuff to make fire with, because that comment about having a uh, chat around the campfire, 
having an all-night campfire is a good idea. Yeah. And we don't we want to chop down any trees that trees, are trees, right? We don't want to chop them down. Now, do we need mosquito netting? Is there? Hmm. You're probably fine without. It's not too too fly infested. Okay. Well, it would so only come from the, the 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 lagoon, and probably not. And and the fire wouldn't attract any any crabs or rats to us, now would it? It would actually do the reverse. It would it keep them away. That's why I'm asking the, uh, the biologist. Okay, cool. Mm -hmm. Very nice. So you, your the main or the ideal setup would be to have a large central campfire and then have smaller ones dotted around the perimeter of your campsite. Yeah. So we need to bring possibly even some bags of charcoal and extra wood. Yeah, stuff that will burn for a while. So I was thinking the charcoal will burn longer than wood. Now, there is one thing actually that was said by uh, by Dr. Marshall there that uh, was amongst my list of potentially, if you don't declare it now, you're not bringing it. Oh, grenades. Well, that was kind of the offhand version of it, but are you potentially going to bring along anything like dynamite if you wanted to do any blasting to get significant large pieces of rock? Oh, I don't know if I really want to do that level yet we don't we don't have blasting permits or anything like that for this here i i don't think there's the paperwork this is the fire. 30s yeah <laughs> oh yeah but, what what is environment environmental preservation um uh, <laughs> maybe maybe a couple half sticks but mm -hmm. nothing well, nothing major well i we'll i would object to any use like that this is a natural environment um beverly you're, you're rather cynical about that, but the thing is, is that as scientists, we do believe that these things should be preserved. We don't want to blow things up. Oh, oh agreed. Yeah, I, I'm not into whole scale. There's no mining or anything like that going on. Uh, it's just finding good spots for oil, right? <laughs> just put a big X where it looks like it's gone dark on the ground. Yeah, I'm, I'm fine with going in just with uh, the hammer pickaxe. Uh, a couple of prism magnifying sets, mm -hmm. uh, the geological survey compasses and such, uh, notebook field guides for the region, that sort of thing. Uh, so the, the also the thing that that eliminates is there's no chance of an accident on the ship on the way out there, which is also a good thing. <laughs> well, we will we will treat it like one of uh, uh, Teddy Roosevelt's national parks. <laughs> Now, I, uh, the, crew, other little thing. the crew of the ship should have some armature, some guns or something, just in case we get assaulted by pirates. By, by the and crowd. I don't mean our pirates. <laughs> I mean modern day pirates that might assault the ship. Oh, that would make an excellent story, though. They do, um, you know, that if you if you contact the the staff that's organised the ship, they will have rifles on board and they will have a bit of ammunition. So yeah, they, they will be armed. Yes, that's that's good. Don't worry, yeah. gentlemen. We're we're scientists. We're not going to concern ourselves with uh, fending off pirate raids. Hopefully, that'll save our lives if we're attacked by pirates and they win. Well, you know, maybe. Maybe uh, Miss Lion and myself will meet some dashing uh, young pirate captains. 
considering <laughs> how many women have been raped on this island, I wouldn't I wouldn't buy that. Yeah, maybe not so. If there are pirates, try not to get shot at. I, I'm, only, I'm only one person. I can't deal with everyone with bullet wounds. And Jillian, the, the war was 20 years ago. You need to pull yourself together. Yeah, yeah. Every, you could just see it, but it still affects so like that was the war to end all wars. We're fine now. Yes. Definitely nothing's happening in Europe. No wars in the future. Nineteen thirty-eight. She's always on edge. She, she just can't forget it. It was she saw a, a lot of things. So, but I've got all the medical stuff sorted and food and all that. It's gonna be on the ship waiting for us. I hope as long as it doesn't get lost <laughs> on the way. Nah, you see, you've got plenty of medical supplies, so that won't be a problem. Now, Dr. Wyatt, are you seriously concerned about pirates? No, I, I'm, I'm only, you know, we're in the, this is South Pacific. Um, you could have raiders from islands that take advantage of ships and for supplies. They'd want our food, they'd want our, our money. Um, and maybe they'd want our ship. Um, I, I, it's a pirate's just a generic term, a privateer, a, a criminal. Hopefully they won't want, if they do come, they won't want either me or you, Beverly, because, uh, yeah. Well, hopefully they won't want me. Well, if they were, that I mean, would actually, you might well hope they do want you. If they don't want us, they might just shoot us and throw us overboard. Well, I'd probably kill you, you gentlemen, after that. Now, 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 all this pirate talk. We need to concentrate on what's actually going on. You can hop on the airplane and fly away if there's pirates. Yes, I believe the most malicious entity that will be around us during our time will be a. Uh... Natalie, right? Is that right, Peter? 100% correct. Well, some other rat. I think she's hanging out with too many of those communists. Have you or ever, have you ever been a member of the National Geographic Society? <laughs> <laughs> Peter, don't worry. I'll, if, if she tries to get clever, I'll just slap her a little bit. I'm just slapping around. Heavens, no, that's barbaric behavior. She's just. That's something communists would do. <laughs> you you still have. But thank you for the thought. Hey. It's better for. I guess it's better for me because it would look awful if you accidentally laid a hand on her. I, I we remember start. fresh water. We're going well, to need at least yeah, some fresh yes, water. Yes, don't. Yeah. All like food supplies and that kind of supplies. I yeah, don't. don't want to get to maybe dysentery or anything like that from the lagoon. So well, I, I have the water tablet. You know that once you have a mebic dysentery, you've got it forever. You've got dysentery forever. I don't yeah, want so the shits forever. <laughs> don't worry. I've got the water. I've got purification tablets, fruit, veg, uh, can or well, tinned food, medical supplies. It's all. Okay. Oh, and and uh, I, probably just standard day packs too. I mean, it is an expedition for so I mean like a standard light pack with you know 
the day rations, a but, canteen, that sort of thing should be commonplace. Uh, it, will, it will give me something to do preparing some. <laughs> Dr. Marshall, oh. we're going to be there for about a week, aren't we? I believe so, right? Yeah. Five, six, you think eight. that we would have time um, to do any underwater exploration? Some. Uh, oh, I was hoping. Some uh, check inside the lagoon. Check check outside the lagoon. Um, I mean, I'm not talking the big uh, heavy tanks or anything like that. But you know, so, just snorkeling. Yeah, snorkeling. Yeah, that's an excellent idea. We should have like uh, yeah some bring snorkeling. Our, bring our bathing suits and our. Yeah. Um, Maybe. Uh, even a light tank, light oxygen tanks, not the not the deep uh, scuba diving, but uh, I don't know what they had available in nineteen thirties. I don't think they had like scuba. That. Yeah, I think that that mainly comes uh, with the advent of the war. Really, it's uh, and even then, it's yeah. quite primitive. Uh, you would be still using uh, diving suits, so you'd have air pumped down from the surface to you right. at this point. Really, just snorkeling. So, just snorkeling. We'll snorkel. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, that sounds ideal. That sounds yeah, brilliant idea. Because there might be a lot of uh, undersea um, creatures that uh, that I can also um, get to name. Oh yeah, I, I'd love to do, take some samples, soil and rock, mineral samples down there as well. If you Don't go underwater, if you go underwater, you better be careful. You know, I do say if we could, if we keep sitting here and talking like this, we're never going to make it to the island. <laughs> I am watching all of you. <laughs> days, days, days left. Days. We, I know. Definitely need to check the manifesto there. Then. I thought you were about to leap into a Jaws moment. There is a Hugo in the water, sharks in the water. Uh, <laughs> well, we're definitely going to need a bigger boat. Um, definitely. Dead eyes, doll's eyes. I go into a diatribe of why you need to name something after Roosevelt. I'm sure that the maker of the universe will move us along when he needs us to move along. <laughs> well, funny you should mention that. The um, From here on in, I think you've covered a lot of the bases I was looking for, so don't worry about stock taking or going over any other equip equipment. Your preparedness skill will cover you within reason of anything else that you want to have while you're on the island. The key thing for me was explosives. And as it sounds like you're not taking any, then that's that base covered. So time rolls around, unless anyone else wants to do any other preparation rather than any other info gathering or other than equipment gathering and such. Just for landing, whatever I would need to learn how to land in a lagoon safely. Oh, you're you're prepared. You've done this. Uh, you've done this stuff. It represents your quite high piloting skill, so yeah. that's that's not a problem. So we cut to the Indiana Jones moment of that red line going across the country, and then arriving at San Diego. And the next thing, yeah, he doesn't have to worry about flapping his arms outside no. out out of the window. <laughs> he's he's got a bit more of a high tech plane than that. <laughs> but yep, you arrive at the docks in San Diego. And there is this wonderful 90-foot uh, two-mast schooner, the Amphitrite. And you have the captain is waiting for you there. And he's a kind of grizzled old fellow. He is your, uh, almost your, uh, following that Jaws theme, he's almost your quint type of character. He's not uh, not quite as crazy, though. Um, he's got He's got a nice uh, white beard and moustache, uh, cropped fairly close. He's got a little protruding forehead. 
um, flat cap and fairly thick um, fit coat on for the uh, for the wind and rain that you'll get out to see. Um, and he gre- he greets you and does basically gives you the tour of the ship. So here's your cabins below decks. Uh, the rest of the crew are here. He does a quick run through, but there's eleven other members of crew, uh, the cook and various other um, other people that you'd be able to meet in the trip. The one thing that he points out pretty much from the go uh, from the start is that everyone, and this includes him, everyone on board is expected to lend a hand if things go south. That includes you. We're all in this together when we're out there because we have to rely on each other. Do I make myself perfectly clear? Yes. Do we? Are you going to offer us any kind of training in, in, in something that we would be able to fill in on? Yeah, we well, want plenty of time. Um, one of the reasons why we're going taking the the route down the coast, uh, going down Baja, is that it gives you time to get familiarised with the ship, but also it then gives us the time to get to the closest landfall to Clipperton. So you don't have to um, be out on the open ocean for a longer period of time with less chance of getting supplies. This gives you almost like your training wheels exercise. What about pirates? Is it likely that we're going to get attacked by pirates? Not, not, off, not off the coast of Baja. Uh, maybe, maybe if you headed further down to, uh, to South America, maybe, but ah, nothing around where we're going, no. Well, I thought I should have to learn how to fend the ship off from pirates, but um... I think the biggest problem we'll have to face is the weather. That's uh, that's usually the worst problem. Apart from oh. fire, that's uh, that's probably the worst thing to have happen at sea. You mean batten down the hatches? Yes, that kind of thing. You secure the cargo, make sure that the uh, so how to lift uh, lift and fold the sail. The, the basic stuff. Is this an American ship or is this a Mexican? Oh no, this uh, this definitely full full one hundred percent blooded American. I should be very eager to learn how to batten down the hatches. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there aren't that many of them, but we can certainly uh, we can certainly show you how to batten them down. <laughs> the key thing is speed. Yeah, otherwise the other. The other two members of your expedition, say um, Bailey and Irvine, um, are also shown to their cabins. They're fairly talkative. It's not like they're apart from from you guys. They they're simply there to perform their role. But you uh, you very much are the um, the front line of the of the expedition or the forward the forward face of it. Over the course of the rest of the day, there's supplies which are brought on uh, the stuff that you've requested. Um, or Jillian's going through a lot of the uh, the food stuffs that are being brought on board, and to alleviate Doctor White, yes, there is a lot of water that's being brought on. There's a lot of jugs and containers, um, plastic um, containers that they have brought on. So yeah, water is not going to be too much of uh, too much of a problem. And then after a couple of hours of checking and rechecking, you set sail. So. For the next six days, you glide down the coast of Baja, uh, mostly mountainous. So the you see obviously the beach coastline with the mountain framing it in the background. Nice clear skies, nice breeze coming in off the ocean, and golden sun uh, beaming down at you. 
Um, there's plenty of seagulls which play with the ship as you head down. Uh, they'll come along. They'll either sit on the railings or they'll uh, go up to the not the crow's nest, but or the um, the bars of the sails the ma- alongside the mast. And even on one day, a couple of days in, there's a playful um, pack of dolphins that start uh, diving along um, and kind of keep up the front of the ship. Doctor, you what? Them, Those um, your, it's your pirates. They're going to rob us. Mm. Oh. They're going to hide things in their blowholes. <laughs> you know, that, uh, that well uh, infamous pod of dolphins that are known up and down the Baja California <laughs> coast of uh, robbing uh, swimmers of their goods. Yeah. Yep. But, uh, they, they play with you for a few hours and then are gone. And then it's going just heading down this almost never ending coastline that really is a quite beautiful place down here. It's nice, calm weather. The seas are almost not flat, but so nice, gentle waves crashing up against the, uh, crashing up against the sea, uh, the shore. And making fairly good time um, towards the end of the uh, sixth day, you arrive at Cabo San Lucas. Um, it's a fishing village, well, not not village. It's a town, not quite a city, but definitely a large town that's built up the slopes of um, a cove. So there's plenty of other ships which are coming in and out of here. Nothing particularly big. You're one of the biggest ships that comes into um, comes into dock here, um, but plenty of other fishing uh, fishing boats that come to and fro. Um, plenty of other tourist ships that come um, come in, like yachts uh, that will be sailing around. Um, otherwise, you've got the settlement congregates around the dock, congregates around the docks, and then it's almost step-like that it goes up the sides of the cove on the mainland. The captain declares that well, we've made pretty good time. If you want to, uh, well, first of all, he detaches like you, 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 and you, and you from the. Uh, the other members of the crew to go off to go get uh, to refresh supplies like water and other fresh goods and says well you've got, everyone's got shore leave until this evening um, everyone returns here and sleeps on the boat we set sail first thing tomorrow morning after we've uh, after we've done all the last minute checks excellent using my my skill with spanish mm-hmm. i would like to ask the fine folks around here about any strange uh, aquatic sightings, Ooh. rumors, and the like. Yeah, um, a lot of them build up on what you've already got from the um, all the seamen that have been a lot further afield that you've met back in Arkham. Um, they elaborate a bit more on things like, oh, yeah, we've seen the uh, seen the ghosts line up on the shore by where the old garrison was, or the women that scream from where the uh, the lighthouse was, where it once stood. And the lighthouse isn't there anymore. There's just a uh, concrete mount where the foundations used to be and the French flag that flies from it. But you can hear the screams of the women as you go around the um, go around the base of the of Clipperton Rock. And yeah, do you want to spend a point of Spanish, or do you want to? Yes, I would love to spend a point of Spanish. Yeah, they. One of the people you speak to says that he actually has set foot on Clipperton Island. And he remembers it was after the uh, the Gusman incident, and he remembers finding a uh, cabin where he was staying. One of the old, one of the few buildings that still remains there, and that it was just 
covered in crosses and Bible script. And uh, apparently he, he had gone really off the deep end crazy. As if he went, he just kept, he tried to lock himself into the, um, into the, the hut and almost warred it with crosses and the power of the Lord to keep, keep the forces of evil at bay that were outside, literally knocking and scratching at his door every day and night. Oh, interesting. Wouldn't help him against pirates, though, but that's a... Uh... No. <laughs> no, even actually on that note, they say, no, not even pirates go anywhere near the place. It's just too, it's too hard to dock. There's so little traffic that goes out there. It's a stupid place for any of them to go. So do we have time in Cabo San Lucas before we leave? Oh, you've got the, pretty much the whole afternoon and evening, ah. and then... That after when you come back, you're supposed to sleep on the ship, and then you'll get sailing the next the next morning. I've I've heard there's a rather common species that I'd really like to see. Um, it's called a pina colata, and it sounds delicious. I'll help you find one. <laughs> Let's Dr. find the elusive pina colata. Mm -hmm. As soon as we make dock and the captain relieves us. Mm -hmm. I wanna. It's it's like a dock area, right? Oh yeah. Like, yeah. <clears throat> I wanna find out the harbor master. Who's the number one guy, like top dog there? Yeah, and you see can, if you I can find a guy. I'm going to pull him to the side very nicely, show him a picture of Natalie, which I still have in my wallet, and tell him she'll be coming in in a couple days. What will it take to delay her ship a day or two? How much yeah. money? And if you do do that, whatever he's asking for, when I come back to resupply and she was delayed, I will match that same amount back to you again. Okay. Yeah, he, he's... Where am I? It's uh, that's what I'm looking for. The exchange rate south of the border. Right. So I figured um, I'd make out a lot better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah he's, he's happy for... If you re if you want to delay uh, delay her, he'll say yeah, customs good. inspection fire blah. <laughs> Let's say um, a donation of uh, ten of your American dollars to the uh, to the harbor uh, the harbor crew uh, retirement fund, and we will uh, you'll have yourself a deal there, and I'll delay her as long as I possibly can. And if it's done even better, is nothing bad to happen, just very good delays. I'll come when I come back to resupply, I'll give you another five dollars and a barrel of beer for all your men. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he thinks this this sounds like a this sounds like a good deal. Um, if you want to cross off a point of credit rating, you got uh, it. He will inform you that he has got wind that the uh, the ship is coming. Um, from the uh, from National Geographic. In fact, the ship that comes in, or at least they've been told is coming in, uh, is da, 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 just trying to find the uh, find the note here. It's a vessel very similar to your own. It's again a uh, it's a schooner, uh, two masted, probably very very similar in specification to uh, the one you've got. Um, they've already been notified that they are carrying some fairly delicate equipment on board. Um, in particular, 
he has to go back to his notes and tries to pronounce this as best he can. Um, a a bathysphere. I'll make a note in my notebook to ask the uh, rest of the group about it. <laughs> yep. Uh, they will be aware that the bathysphere is uh, similar to the one, it's a submersible, similar to the one used by Otis Barton and William Bebe uh, between 1930 and 1934 for conducting deep sea exploration. Okay. Good to know. Thank you. Now, where would they be supplying from? Uh, there's so many places in town that they could uh, get stuff from. All right. Well, thank you very kindly. And yeah, I, I'll uh, I'll make sure that we can we'll, we'll hold them up for at least a day. Excellent. Muchas gracias, señor. Now I go try and find the other gentleman. Yeah, they're currently drinking this very frothy uh, kind of uh, pineapple and uh, coconut drink. Uh, there's there's this row of empty or frothed glasses in front of them. They, they have most certainly found the, the lesser spotted pina colada. Oh. I order another round for everybody. <laughs> uh, doctors, have you ever, and I'm drawing a blank on the word, but I have to mute because I got... Bathosphere. Bathosphere. Mm -hmm. I have activity outside. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> Gillian will also, well, she's not going to drink, but she'll go there to remind them. Bathosphere. Be careful. Gillian, Gillian, sit down and have a pina colada. They're delicious. No, no I, um, I am fine. I want to keep a clear head. Peter, you said bathosphere? They're going yes. down? The harbor master said they have sensitive equipment, including a bathosphere. I did a little research oh. before. That's for deep sea research. Why, why would they need a bathosphere? I, I can't even imagine where they could go down that deep anywhere near the islands. Um, Carl, you know the the geology of the area, don't you? I'm. Well, National Geographic has big money, so they must know yeah. something we don't. Uh, but yes, yeah. I mean, if you're going down deep. four or five hundred feet, but. It's it's what fifty fathoms. Fathoms in the yeah, lagoon. it's quite deep. Well, 50, they probably are aware of that. And how much is a fathom? I don't know these sorts of things. How this is surprisingly delicious. I I told you. You oh, please, please don't drink too much, please. It's just alcohol. The interior of the coral atoll. Yes, that's so. The maximum depth that goes to is fifty fathoms. Remember, this is a volcano, a mountain, the top of which blown off, and it's very steep going down. A sense of this is a, a fathom is two yards, so it's three hundred feet. So they're planning on going down in the lagoon. That's like a football field. Better that I landed there, or will be. It's a fairly large lagoon, so they could be going. If you're over here and they're over here, they can go down to the bottom and like 50 fathoms. I wonder how they know that it's 50 fathoms deep. A rope can and drop a south mm -hmm. Where is where's Beverly? 
She's missing the pina coladas. Please, just don't drink too much more. Jesus Christ, Jillian, shut up. Dr. Wade, would you like a Chesterfield? Oh, yeah. Uh, You you guys. Yeah. Doctor recommended. They're good. They fortify your lungs. Very tasty. But but you are right, uh, Jillian. Don't want to drink too much. She's already gone. They do want this to be a cough. Yeah. Chesterfields. I'm more of a Lucky Strikes gal. Sorry, I'm late to the party. You like it strong, huh? Oh, you finally got here. Have a pina colada. They're delicious. (laughs) So, Beverly, I have it on good word that National Geographic boat is going to get delayed at least a day. So, we are. Oh, really? Yes. That's an interesting bit of news. Published pictures before they do. We should, we should, we should, um, uh, we should, you know, go under the water and knock on the little bathosphere windows. Well, if they if they have a submersible, uh, a Peter, is it too late for you to try to win that in court? <laughs> she took your dogs. You should take your bathosphere. Uh, oh, Beverly, I don't think it was his bathosphere. Oh no, it's not mine. It's National Geographic's. After a couple more drinks, I, you know what I do? I go to the libraries and I, I take the National Geographics and I bring them outside and I put them in the dumpster. Everyone I can find. You should save them all up for years and years and years and then take, take them to a bookstore. Hey, that thing will be out of business in a couple years. It's Wait a just... second. What's it, what, what am I smoking? A Chesterfield. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, so I think that the rest of the evening passes with uh, various increasing levels of inebriation. Um, Peter probably giving the police a merry chase after having dumped a whole several armfuls of National Geographic in the dumpster and then had the police call on him and then running like a man possessed to the, through the streets and eventually heading back to the ship. Gillian uh, just looking on with the kind of just dour glares of oh, people. Uh, I'm despair. sorry I told you to shut up, Jillian. <laughs> and Be- uh, Beverly thinking, yeah, this could probably make a make a good story, <laughs> a good anecdote at some point in the write up. <laughs> um, the morning comes, the hangover is mighty, the sea is rolling, and it's uh, Maldemere kicks in at his worst possible level uh, that you've had so far. Uh, holding breakfast down is a bit of a bit of an effort. Gillian oh. has something for him. Yeah. We should have uh, we should have let at least half that pack of pina coladas go. Uh, Gillian has made I have. Uh, a special <laughs> a special like smoothie kind of thing to give to the drunkards. Lots of tomato juice, vodka, and Tabasco. Yeah, there is a dog. <laughs> uh, down, take this, gentlemen. Just you you're gonna want to down it in one. <sighs> Yeah, it does uh, does wonders for your constitution. <laughs> and then the uh, the captain, as promised, sets off fairly early and points you out towards the sea. So, 
because this counts, this is the, the start of your longest trek across open ocean, we're going to handle this as a kind of a series of montage uh, scenes. And this is the, the, the expedition part of the trip. Now, expeditions are broken down into different sections, uh, different travel increments. So the first part represents you going out, um, you going out to sea, but still being fairly close to uh, close to the land. Now, for the what's called your survival pool is a numeric representation of how well supplied you are, how well equipped you are, and also the condition of the equipment that you've got available to you, and so and so on and so forth. It starts. It's kind of an arbitrary number that uh, the GM picks to see how um, how deadly the scenario wants to be based on what access to equipment you've got. The purposes of this scenario, it starts at 35, but is in increased by two points for everyone in the group that has the outdoorsman skill. Now, three of you have got it, so that pool goes up to 41. Now, with each increment, you are, by, de by definition, you are going to lose some points out of that survival pool just as your supplies are getting eaten up. So you're, you're drinking through your water, you're having your regular meals, wear and tear, that general kind of thing. And it's modified by the terrain or the environment of which you're in. So the first part of this, it's calm, open ocean. So would someone like to volunteer and give me a D6 roll and then minus one off the result? Sure. Two. Okay, so two total. Yep. So that brings you down to 39. So negligible, really. That's just general... Eating through eating through food and getting through water. So, so you are hitting... let me understand that really quick. So what you actually rolled was a three, and then you took one away. Yes. And then we take that away from the pool. Okay. Yeah, that's it. So the coast starts disappearing over the horizon. Clouds become generally fewer and fewer. You've got this big blazing ball of heating the sky that's reflected almost like a mirror off the water ahead of you just so you've got this long gold bar that glares at you towards the um, towards the far, far horizon and it gets hotter yeah it's helping though it's quite salty so there is a little bit of breeze here and you're passing through lots of um, what will be buoys lots of little round floats that you can see that there's, there's a lot of nets here that you are passing into what would be the, the locals' fishing territories. So would someone like to give me, if you are all out on deck and are keeping an eye on what's going on, uh, one of you can give me a piloting role. So this would be a general skill. So if you want to spend points off of it, then you declare it before the role. And it increases it on a one-for-one -one basis. So if uh, Pete wants to make a roll, how many points are you spending? Put uh, two points in. Okay. I'm just trying to find my skill in here. It's in general abilities over on the left. Yeah. On the right, sorry. Oh, okay. I have an 18 in that, so it's still one die? Yep. It just okay. means that you spend however many points you want and then roll a d6. So... And add those add points. To, add the point. Okay. I rolled a six plus two would be eight. Okay, you are wide-eyed and observant. Then 
Um, you notice that as indeed you are running through a lot of nets here, um, you decide this is going to be a problem because if the rudder gets caught on and on any of these, that's going to pretty much bring you to a halt. So you stay up front and are basically giving hand gestures as to which way to go to sort of weave through these piles, these rows upon rows of net fishing nets. Now I take two points off my skill, correct? That's it, okay. yeah. Okay. And with your eagle eye, you are able to avoid all the netting. So you do not need to worry about making another... It's what would happen there, uh, to give you a show on the mechanics side of things, if you'd have failed that roll, you would become entangled in the nets, which would then involve having to go into the... Uh, one of the, you or the crew having to go into the water and free them up, and it would incur a further loss of um, survival points off your pool. But you avoid it, so that doesn't happen. Excellent. Good work, Peter. Good eye. Okay, so you've got seven days seven days to kill. Describe a little bit about what you want to do, what kind of things you want to learn on the ship, because you said about uh, learning skills from the rest of the crew and the captain. What, what kind of things do you want to do and what do you want to try and learn on the way? It's a sailing ship, correct? Mm -hmm. um, but I, uh, do they have those like where people climb up onto the tops, or is it or all more or less automated at this point, where there's cranks and wires and? Oh, there's lots of cranks, but there are still a couple of crow's nests at the top. Ooh. Well, in addition to learning about sailing, you know, and how how this whole thing is accomplished. I would like very much to go up to the crow's nest and, <laughs> and just just feel it, experience it. I want to experience these things. Yeah, I mean, going going up there is definitely a test of nerve because uh, it is pretty high. They do wobble a little bit, and you're on a whole structure that is bouncing around on the ocean waves. So yeah, it's not for the faint-hearted. But I'll do it. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you get up there and you certainly have a good old look around. You can do that multiple times. It's not as if there's a person up there saying, there's only room for me, get out. No, it's, you are allowed to head up there whenever you want. <coughs> hey, uh, what kind of thing is Beverly looking at, sort of looking at doing? Well, they mentioned something about fires, which is not ideal. So I would like to learn how to you know, do firefighting at sea. Okay. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, they can they can run you through the um, basic techniques. Um, they do have fire extinguishers on board, um, plus there's also just um, throwing a bucket over the side attached to a rope, dragging it up and throwing water at stuff, so they'll get you almost like chain gang, um, or chain dousing practice. So that's no problem you also get a good um, good idea of the ship in where fires might start. So there's the reason why they keep checking on the cabin and um, on the cargo that they've got. Uh, plus foodstuffs, the galley as well. The, um, so the kitchen is a big concern because like, there's heat down there for cooking the food. So yeah, you, you get a good, good old um, idea of the ship and where the problem parts could be in that time. That's no problem. And Gillian? Uh, Gillian will kind of split her time because she already 
okay at cooking, but should spend some time with the cook and learning that. And also, she would kind of like to just learn the mechanics of the ship a bit more. Mm-hmm. That kind of. Okay, so how how the thing physically works, like yeah, um, the stuff. If they desperately need to fix it, what what do you need to do to be able to yeah. make it and to put it right? So okay, I can be of some use if need be in other areas. Yeah, one one of the key problems they have is particularly if the winds change quite dramatically, would be how to uh, get the rigging sorted and how to. Um, that's what I'm looking for now. Uh, but yeah, if cordage becomes tangled or a yard becomes jammed, that kind of thing that you would really need, to, um, that's something that needs to be taken care of pretty damn quickly. So you're able to get an idea of how to almost uh, do first aid of the ship rather yeah. than the crew. <laughs> and Peter? I'm going to find out about the lifeboats and more specifically if we're going to have a boat on shore that we could pull up in case we need to get back quickly and the best way how to work them, how to steer them, how's the best way to row, how much weight can they hold. Gotcha. Yeah, the the ship comes equipped with two 10-person longboats. So these these kind of double as lifeboats as well. So there is more than enough room to accommodate the crew um, off the ship if need be. Uh, they have quite a high weight tolerance. So they will be able to take, um, in pieces admittedly, they'll be able to take your um, your plane over to the mainland for one thing. So you can reassemble it on shore of the, of the interior part of the lagoon. Yeah, that's, those two boats are pretty much your, your lifeline if anything goes wrong out here. Um, each of them does also have a pack inside it, so it has a survival kit and rations of its own. Uh, they're not touched while obviously you're on board. Um, there's easy cranks to then wheel them, uh, kind of lift them off the um, off the losing my words, the deck. That's what I'm looking for. Um, turn them over and then lower them into the water. So yeah, you you can get a good good idea of them. And it's a long boat, so it's basically paddle. So there's nothing really to worry about piloting it with. It's pure pure muscle power. All right. Uh, ah, okay. Yeah, just reading the uh, the note from uh, from Doctor Wyatt there. So, so yeah, that's you can definitely get on with that. The um, they're a good bunch of people. There's nothing. There's nothing that's going to come up there. I'll write you a more detailed reply in a sec. Oh, and Doctor Marshall. I'll be uh, uh, buried in reading a couple of the latest field guides for South Pacific Islands in this region, the makeup of, uh, of, the, of the land, of the, of the atmospheres, environs. And I'll be occasionally going back. I've got an old copy of a Weird Tales magazine. I think it's what, yeah, volume 11, issue two, I think, of uh, Weird Tales we look at once in a while. But I'm mostly just trying to find out as much as I can about uh, just the the type of terrain we're about to head into. Mm-hmm. Study up as much as I can on the latest information that's out there. Yeah, I mean, there's Clipperton's definitely mentioned, and it's covered in a few places. Um, there's obviously the note already that you've already known about that most of the uh, the <coughs> most of the seabed is just like a rolling conveyor belt that actually moves. 
huge amounts of land that this is this is definitely a mountainous say volcano that part of the deep sea fishing that was mentioned um, that the president likes so much um, this area does have quite a large tiger shark um, oh. population hmm. so it's uh maybe swimming out there ain't such a safe thing but hey But otherwise, that you can get an idea of the the sort of the again backing up the fact that you are going in one of the better weather seasons that you're not going between June and November. Um, definitely having some form of being able to uh, some form of shade to keep out the sun is a good idea. Obviously, the emphasis on fresh water, all the stuff you've previously gone through, but it's good to have it. It's good to have it fresh in mind. So, the results of these. So you are um, you are learning some skills. You are uh, brushing up on some knowledge. For bravery, going up into the crow's nest, I think we're going to give uh, Doctor uh, Dr. Wyatt can gain a point of athletics. Uh, Beverly, you can. Let me have a sheet here to find a relevant skill. I think we're going to go with sense trouble actually for you because it's all about knowing where a fire could break out so yeah we'll, we'll give you a point of sense trouble to be on the ball about that um jillian as you are wanting to do first aid on the boat well the boat is going to be involving a lot of woodwork and metal work uh, that'll fall under the realm of mechanical repair so you can you can gain a point of that uh peter uh, I think what the uh, best thing here be. What's reassurance? Reassurance is like talking people, um, oh. not like talking people down, but it's it's kind of a bit like persuade, but it's also calming people down as well. And I say generally, as it says, reassuring them that everything's right. okay and getting on their good side. Um, I think I'll go with a point of preparedness. Because you were looking at the lifeboats and making sure that have they got everything stocked? Uh, that if things if things went south quickly, have you got a way out of there? So you you are indeed being prepared. And I think we'll give uh, Doctor Marshall a point of first aid because it's going over uh, again like the lay of the land and making sure what's hazardous, what's not, and so on. So, so yeah, a little bit of uh, reward for your time as you proceed towards the island. Then, quick check. How are we doing for time? We're we're right about at two hours right now. Um, but how how are you doing for story? Are we at the so halfway you, point? Uh, there's a good break, but it's uh, got a couple of those vignettes on. So if we don't mind overrunning by probably about five ten minutes. Is it okay? Really? Yeah, this is right. uh, really fun. Yeah. yeah, this is very much the the setup. That there's a lot of there's a lot of emphasis on investigation in trail games. So you, you can set there. There are two kind of modes that you can play them: either purist or pulp. Um, this scenario is very much written that it could be either one, um, depending on how you react to the when when you get to the island. It's more of a sandbox, but the yeah, the, the very much it is investigative groundwork and getting to find out everything and then know what's going on and putting putting pieces together. 
I think we're having a lot of fun role playing it too. So, ah, good, good. That's the main thing for me. <laughs> so, a couple of days on, the salt on the air becomes stronger, the glare of the sun off the ocean more intense, the waves becoming a bit more vicious as there is just illimitable blue in every direction that it even makes sometimes finding it a bit difficult to work out where the horizon is, that it's just blue everywhere. But those of you that are out on deck notice that to the west and to the south, occasionally there are flickers of light where it seems that there are storm clouds brewing and there are lightning strikes. Uh, the captain quite matter-of-factly reassures you this is not a problem, this is, this is quite common occurrence out here. But the one thing that we do need to be uh, conscious of is if we end up going through a storm at night, that's going to be a more, more of a problem. As long as we can see it during the day, it's a lot more of an advantage to us because we can see, see what we're doing. Those of you which are out on deck, uh, does someone want to give me a D6 roll to represent again the next increment of your stockpile of rations and food and such being eroded away? So this is a D6 and minus one again. I can do it. No, no. Oh, yeah. Jillian, you've got our health in mind. Yeah. You can't fail us. Rolls a six. <laughs> no, I wrote a two, so... Oh, okay, so that's only... Um, is that two net, or goes uh, down to that, one? I rolled a two, so I haven't... Oh, two minus so it goes one. down to one. Okay. Right, so, yeah, you're definitely getting used to the uh, used to the sea at this point, so it's becoming old hat, really, especially with having picked up a few points in uh, various skills along the way. I was for no longer lugging around all those pina coladas. <laughs> yeah, you're fairly, you're fairly sure thinking about that, that uh, that the biologist, not the biologist, the volcanologist with you, Dr. Bailey, um, you're fairly sure you've heard some, um, especially uh, Dr. Wyatt, as you will have noticed that he's very much been the, uh, the people person when he's not up in the crow's nest, uh, kind of talking with the crew and generally getting pally with them. And they're, they're all fairly... Cool well-trained sea dogs at this point that they've they're people that have made their living doing deep sea uh, deep sea fishing or even just regular fishing by the shore and doing the occasional charter trips and so on so they've all got stories they can tell about weird things that they've seen out on the sea uh, more than one guy says he'll having seen a mermaid like i think come up and try to lure him out onto the rocks with this uh, with its siren song yeah, you're kind of getting the idea. Some, some of this is a bit of a kind of bull that's passed passed down for telling the uh, the landlubbers. But right, on, yeah. on the whole, yeah. on the whole, they're a good bunch, though. There's no one here that really strikes you as like, oh, he's a, he's obviously a bad one. That there's no, there's they're a good bunch of people. And this is something that probably catches Jillian's eye first, especially as the kind of thing that you said you were looking into doing kind of first aid on the ship itself. Those clouds ahead indicate that there could well be, as, as a storm, the wind could change direction at any moment. And indeed, there is a sudden pitch and almost like a wall of air rushes across the ship in the opposite direction. And the sail rapidly turn, um, switches direction and rigging starts getting caught. Um, you've got uh, cordage becomes tangled. And you can hear the snapping of wood and it starts to become that, yeah, the, the ship evidently is not designed to be able to manoeuvre this quickly. So the minute that happens, the captain bellows on deck, just say, 
everyone untangle the ropes, um, the rigging now. Okay. Okay. I, so, I, I picked up a few bits. Everyone f- try to do this. I'll okay. Push, push the, the, the key thing here, no, it looks by motions of everyone there, no one is refusing to, or to take part. You're all chipping in. That's a good thing. So that saves your morale because you're not uh, driving a wedge between you and the rest of the crew. So this is a good thing. Now, this is something that everyone uh, can attempt as you're all uh, you're all jumping in. Um, you can either attempt an athletics or mechanical repair check. So if anyone wants to spend any points, remember do it before the roll. I will I'm... spend three points of athletics. <laughs> I, I'm also going to spend three points of athletics. Okay. Oh, geez. That's only a four with my plus three. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's a six with my plus three. Okay. Mechanical repair with one point. That mm-hmm. is a seven with my two points that I spent. Nice. Only three. A net three. Yeah. Four plus one is five. Okay. Well, that sounds then that you've got only Beverly and Carl don't hit the target number of five. Everyone else got five or higher. Yeah. Three of you make it, so you are fine. So this, the ship lurches off in a different direction. You can even hear the timber start to start to creak. But between the three of you pulling out the uh, pulling out the rigging, pulling out the cord, um, Beverly trying desperately to pull, pull the cord, and even at one point being lifted up, um, almost oh, off the oh. air and carried away by oh. <laughs> carried away by the rig as it swings. <laughs> well, you need to be careful. And then being ca- carrying along, uh, Paul, uh, poor Doctor Marshall with uh, with her. Um, you are brought back on board, but given a good uh, a good clap on the back for uh, for effort as much as anything else. But you you avoid any other significant damage to the ship. So that that evening comes then as you are say given a good clap uh, offered plenty of rum and some of this uh, again some of these, these pina colada things just just show up in the uh, in the oh. galley in the evening somehow. Julian, I need some rounds given to both of you. <laughs> I need some salve or something for my hands. Uh, I got a bit of a rope burn. Yes, yes. Come, come to me, and I'll so, as long as you don't drink too many pina coladas. And I thought you were. <laughs> I'd rather stay sober. We're going into a bit of a, of, of a storm or something. And mm-hmm. yes, we need you. We need everyone in their best mental state. Right Wait, now. Matt, I make sure two full days before I have to fly, no alcohol. Okay. Yeah, so that that'll be fine. This this is about you think probably three days out. So this is where you start to uh, start to wind down. So you're passing through what would be a bit more stormy weather now through day, not so much by night, but definitely by day. But you're used to it now that uh, you know what ropes to hold on to and which ones not to hold on to unless you want to do a uh, kind of impression of a bird flying through the air again. But then it comes to the last night before you reach the island itself. And there are still flashes of lightning on the horizon. By the time the sun goes down and that there is massive cloud cover overhead and just blanket cloud all across the sky, it blots out the stars and it blots out the moon. All you have is the occasional flash of light from lightning that lights up this 
ever-changing horizon, these titanic waves that batter the ship and rise and fall around you, pitching the boat forward, backwards, left, right, up, down. Yeah, those of you that have got queasy stomachs, not such a great time. But also, it's going to mean that it, the pilot or the, the captain is going to need help trying to keep the ship on uh, keep the ship on track. Um, first off, it's going to be your increment again, so your regular loss. So this is rough open ocean. So this is a straight D6 roll. So whatever you roll, that's the amount that gets lost. Oh, somebody, I'll, I'll roll this one. Three. Okay. So, yeah, this is the worst we've been through so far. Mm -hmm. Then, realizing that the captain is going to need help, one of you needs to go. Um, needs to go up there. He is calling. He's calling for help because he needs just people to hold onto the wheel and sheer force to hold okay, it. Sure. Head up there. This this is going to be a piloting test. Oh. Well, that might not be good for me to go up there. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um. Yeah. Really not good for me. To I go. will. I can I can I pitch a point of athletics to help him, as far as if he needs the wheel to not move in a certain direction. Yeah, I'll, I'll buy that you if you want. This this would be in concert with someone else doing. Yep. Uh, I would um, only go up there if I actually have some knowledge. Otherwise, I'm just going to be in the way. I have no pilot. Gotcha. Okay. Um, Matt, I have a question before I spend points on piloting. Mm -hmm. I got to fly soon. So how do these points come back? They normally refresh at like milestones. It's a bit like an investigative development phase in Call of Cthulhu. Uh, they happen at set points in a scenario, but normally in a this this would be classed as a short scenario or one shot. They wouldn't normally happen. All right, I just don't want to burn all my piloting and then. Right, there's a reason uh, you've got a lot of it. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna put three points into it for now. Okay, give me a roll. A four. Plus the three, so seven. So yeah, five is a target. So in which case, between you and then the point chucked in from Beverly to effectively piggyback as a result, you can spend spend points to get the benefit of someone else's roll. So in this, I'll count it as like an additional plus one on Pete, on Peter's roll for sheer brute force of holding onto the wheel. Um, you are up all night riding through the storm, and it isn't until pretty much daybreak when the clouds finally start to part and that you can then see clear skies and clear seas ahead of you. Thank God. As that sun slowly arcs across the sky, a few hours later, just as everyone's kind of finishing up breakfast and getting, uh, getting back to normal life on deck, you can see this black shape on the horizon. It's almost pointed and starts to get wider as it just rises eerily further and further up from the horizon. And then you can start to hear the vast cloud of birds forming almost this vortex, this V, this cone rising up from what is evidently Clipperton Rock, as it was described that it would rise like a sail or a castle over the horizon. 
and this flock of millions of birds just going up way into the sky, squawking, and that you can hear for miles away from the island, you're on the last leg of arriving at the island. And that is where we will leave it for tonight. Fantastic. Our players included Stuart Lively, Morgan Llewellyn, Jason Melnichok, Josh Harwood, and myself with Matthew Sanderson as the Keeper of the Secrets. We have a Discord server where you can chat with our members, you can set up private games, and you can learn the finer arts of gameplay and game mastering. There's a link below. We're currently producing up to four shows a week with music and sound effects added in post-production in order to create a richer listener experience. We provide audio-only versions of our shows free for you to download from Podbean or iTunes. The costs involved with the show are provided almost entirely by our patrons. Without them, we wouldn't be able to do what we do. If you'd like to help support our show, please visit our Patreon account. Just a dollar to a month helps us a lot. You can find a link in the description below. Like, share, and subscribe to our channel, and punch the bell icon for updates on our latest shows, and leave us some comments. We enjoy reading them and answer any questions you might have. This is Tom Riley, together with all the members of our gaming club, inviting you to journey with us once again into the darkness for another adventure to the universe of H.P. Lovecraft and the Call of Cthulhu role-playing game. Until next time, good luck and good gaming. <laughs> <laughs>